All right, we'll praise the Lord, everybody. I, I really need to pray. I just, I just had a bad few hours. You know, you know, it's just, it, you know, you know, we're all human beings, right? And uh, I, we all lose our victory sometimes. I was really expecting a good outcome tonight. People told me they would be here, and then one by one, I'm not going to be here, which is fine. I understand people have issues, but it gets a little disheartening. So, having said that, please pray for me. It's been a rough couple of weeks. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Let's begin with thy word. Lord, we're going to begin on a better note than that. Lord, we love you. We thank you for thy word. I thank you for those who have come out, Lord. Uh, we only want to present your word here today, God. Just your pure word, Lord. And I ask that you let me step outside of myself and, and, and follow you, God. Not my will be done, but your will be done. I pray in the name of Jesus. I believe that you have all of this in your hands and your will will be performed. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody here. And we are now in the 19th part of Matthew. My goal is after tonight to start to divide the book up into more themes instead of going verse by verse to get through it a little bit quicker, but to still hit the major uh, the major points. But uh, when we were last together, we saw Jesus raise up Jairus' daughter from the dead. We saw that he touched her body, and we looked at the complicated and demanding ritual uh, for any Israelite uh, that was required for any Israelite who touched the dead body and how they would be considered unclean until they performed a certain ceremony and that ceremony was detailed in numbers chapter 19 and that included the sprinkling of the water of purification which was made from what uh, is translated as living water but in the hebrew is maim chayim or i mean sorry it's translated as running water in the king james version bible but is actually the living water and the water of purification was made by mixing the living water with the ashes of the red heifer. And the red heifer is the sacrifice, um, the atonement for sins. It was the uh, atonement for the sins of Israel. And John wrote in 1 John 2, verses 1 through 2, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. So that word propitiation is a mouthful. It's often uh, translated as forgiveness. Um, if you look at the New Testament in Hebrew, which is translated from Greek into Hebrew, it reads like this. Uh, which means he is the atonement for our sins, the atonement for our sins. And the hakapar, the kapar is, the kaparet is actually uh, the uh, covering of the ark. It is the atonement seat of the ark, the kaparet. So he is the atonement for our sins. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice and the living water so together he is the water of purification 
That means that he does not become unclean, um, but rather he makes the unclean person clean. We also look at the meaning of the Son of David, which is a title of Jesus and how, like the Son of Man, the Son of David or one from the lineage of David would rule over an, an eternal kingdom for all eternity. And we looked at the fact that though the son of David is David's son, he is also David's Lord. And you remember he is the root of David and he is the offspring of David. And finally, we looked at the disparate responses of those who heard the words and saw the miracles of Jesus. Some accepted him, but others, and notably the religious leaders of Israel, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and we will see them all throughout the book of Matthew. They, for the most part, rejected him and uh, attributed his casting out demons to him being in league with the ruler of the demons, Beelzebub, is how it's pronounced in the New Testament. It is a sad truth that throughout history, religious leaders have rejected the truth of God's word in order to hold on to their power they're standing in the community or uh, in their particular denomination. And we must never forget that the ones uh, who were considered religious professionals in the time of Jesus were the ones who sought to put Jesus to death. The ones who were considered experts in the Word of God were the very ones who failed to recognize the Word manifest in flesh. They could not recognize Him. In other words, they knew the Word, but they didn't know the God behind the Word. And we can fall into that trap if we just become another religion. It is no good to know the Word if you don't know the one behind the Word, if you don't know the one who the Word is about. And in this case, Jesus, the Word of God, came to His own, the people who possessed the Word, the only people on the earth who, who possessed the Word of God, and they did not know Him. And because their religion was no longer centered on the Lord, but it was centered on their own traditions. And uh, may I say that may everything that we do be focused on Jesus, who is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Hebrews 1.3. We now continue in Matthew chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 35, and we'll read to 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sick, sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. These were not the Gentiles. These were the people of God. Uh, then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. They had rabbis and they had synagogues they had priests and they had scribes they had the pharisees and the sadducees but they did not have a shepherd religion is not enough you have to have someone with the heart of god and in this case jesus looked out and he saw there was no such person 
in Israel leading his people, except maybe John the Baptist, amen, who had just showed up. Uh, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And if it was true then, I can tell you it's even more true now. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And those of you who are laborers in the kingdom of God, you know that the laborers are few. That seems to be the number one complaint among the laborers is why are we the only ones working? And if we were to stop working, who would do the work? And that is a good question. And that's what Jesus said. The laborers are few. Uh, there are people who are waiting to be brought in who need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord has compassion on them. And there is only one group of people in the world who have the tools uh, necessary to reap the harvest. Can I tell you who that is? It's not the Islamic people. It's not the Buddhist. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, if we don't do it, then who will? In Matthew 25, there are three pictures of people who were totally rejected from God. They were the foolish virgins. They were the unfaithful servant who didn't make use of his talent. And then the goat nations who did not show mercy to Jesus' brothers. And all of them were finally rejected from God's presence. And the question is, what did all three of these have in common? I would want to know because I don't want to be rejected from God's presence. So what did these three people have in common? What did they all do that caused them to be rejected? And the answer, they did nothing. That's the answer. Now, salvation is not by works. But saved people, truly saved people, will have works. If one does not have works, they have no real faith. And we are saved by grace through faith. And as Paul wrote uh, to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works. Paul is saying there's nothing you could do religiously to be saved. Your salvation did not come through any of your works whatsoever. And if you could have earned your salvation, you would have the right to boast. And he says, lest anyone should boast. No one, none of us can boast. But then he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works Hallelujah. so we will have works it's not the works that save us but we have good works because we are saved That's right. and because we are saved we are his workmanship created to do good works. so that thing that is created by the creator will do what the creator has created it to do That's right. amen, amen. Uh, so God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them in good uh, works. So we are his creation, a new creation. And as a new creation, we have new desires. Those old desires, they may still be hanging around. The flesh is still hanging around. But we have new desires that well up in us to do a new purpose. And that is the will 
of God. We have the Spirit of the Lord in us and we have His love. We have His compassion for those who need the gospel declared unto them. So we do not do works to be saved, but if we are saved, if we are new creatures created for good works, we will have our we will have works. And our works will be the works that he did for the purpose in which he did them. Paul wrote again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Once again, why do we do what we do? Because we're created to do that. We were something else before, and now we're a new thing. And that new thing has new desires and new works. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And listen to this. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... Uh, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So his ministry was reconciliation. He came so that mankind, which was separated from God by sin, would be reconciled uh, to God by the one who would be an atonement for sin. And the ministry we have is one and the same to declare the one who is the atonement for sin and to reconcile uh, the world to God by the preached gospel. Namely, the gospel is that Jesus was crucified as an atonement for sin. He was buried and rose again the third day and that through him or in him we have the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection to eternal Life. You have to understand that being in Jesus is being in everything that he did. Yes. He was born. He lived the perfect man. He died, And therefore, being the perfect man without sin, having kept the entire law, he was able to offer himself an atoning sacrifice for all the sin of all mankind. And then he suffered uh, the execution which was required by the law for a sinful man. And... And, and then he was buried with criminals, just like any criminal would be. But then God, the God of the universe, looked down and he chose to negate the decision of the courts of men. The Jews said he was worthy of death. The Gentiles said he was worthy of death. And God says, I am going to dismiss the charges. But see, it's, it's one thing to dismiss the charges of a person who's alive. But it's another thing to dismiss the charges of someone who is dead. What good is that? They're already executed. But in this case, the Lord raised him back up from the dead. So Jesus, the man, was raised back from the dead. And if we are in him, we will be raised from the dead to eternal life. And Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. And then he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. Now, this is the revealed will of God. This is a prayer request from Jesus Christ himself. And that means that if we pray it, it will be answered. Whenever we pray it, God will hear us. And while we are praying that prayer, we should offer ourselves as laborers in the harvest. Lord, don't just send laborers. Here I am. Send 
me. So let's continue in Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power. Now this is from a Greek word meaning authority or jurisdiction. So once again, and this is over clean spirits to cast them out. And as we said before, I don't believe that it is a gift of the spirit to cast out a demon. I believe that every believer, every person who is in the kingdom, a member of the royal priesthood, has the authority, the jurisdiction to command demons and they must go. And that uh, he gave them jurisdiction, authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these, and we would like to have these memorized uh, the next time we come together. So let's pay attention because it can get a little confusing. There's a couple here who use multiple names. Uh, well, one uses uh, another name, and the other one uses multiple names, and we'll get to that. Uh, and the apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Now, in Hebrew, it's Kephas. And so you will see Kephas, some people call it Cephas because it's spelled with a C. So when you see that in the epistles, uh, you, will, you have to recognize that that is simply the Hebrew name of Peter. So uh, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew. Bartholomew is also Nathaniel. Bartholomew and Nathaniel are the same person. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius. Now, this is the guy. Uh, Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, okay? And he also has another name. Uh, and it just, we'll get to it. It's, I know I have it on here. Uh, Jude, Jude, Labaius, and Thaddeus. So, we have several, we have Judas, we have Jude, who is also Labaius or Thaddeus. So I can understand where people get a little confused because you're reading in one place and it might say Thaddeus, in another place it might say Jude. You read in one place where it says Bartholomew and in another place where it calls him Nathaniel. So we have to understand that these are the same people. I will give you a complete list. Um, there were 12 foundational apostles. Judas... Iscariot betrayed the Lord. By the way, do you know that this is how we know the Bible is a true story? This is not fictionalized. Because whenever you write a fiction book, you don't name characters the same names because that gets really confusing, doesn't it? If this were fictionalized, every apostle would have their own identity, their own name. But here we have people who have uh, the same name. You know, we've got Judas Iscariot, then we've got another Judas, and then, you know, we've got this and we've got that. We've got two Jameses, and, and then we have another James who's the brother of the Lord, who's the writer of the book of James. Uh, the epistle of James is actually not one of these 12, but he is a brother of the Lord. So it can get a little bit confusing, but it also goes to prove that the Bible is not a fiction book. They're giving real accounts of real men who just happen to have the same name. And we'll even find men in the Bible whose names are Jesus. Jesus. And, and so, you know, even then, he's not even given a unique name uh, in the scriptures. And that's one way of knowing that the Bible is actually an account. It's not fictionalized. 
Uh, now, Judas betrayed the Lord and was replaced by a 12th apostle. Now, there's some disagreement on who that apostle was. In Acts chapter 1, in the upper room, Peter took charge. He was quoting from Psalm 109.8, which speaks of Judas and declares that his bishopric or his office is uh, to be given to another. And they cast lots over two men, so they chose two men. And Peter's requ requirement for the two men was that uh, they had been with them from the baptism of, of Jesus by John to the day in which Jesus was taken up into heaven. And the lot fell upon a man by the name of Matthias, um, and he was counted with the original 11 apostles, and some accept that as being legitimate. And I'm only pointing this out because we are in thy word, and we want to know this because you're going to see this brought up from time to time, and I want you to be able to understand the argument. Now, I'm going to let you choose which one is correct. Was Matthias the legitimate apostle, or did Peter jump the gun? Because there is reason to believe that Peter may have jumped the gun, uh, so to speak. And that the 12th foundational apostle, now there are 12 apostles, and there are apostles that came after those apostles, but there are only 12 foundational apostles, and that's uh, important. And the reason it's important is their names are on the foundations, the 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem. So which 12 is it going to be? Um, and so uh, a lot of people believe that Peter jumped the gun when he chose a 12th foundational apostle. He didn't give God any choice. He just cast lots and the lot fell upon Matthias. Bam, he's one of us. Um, and... Uh, but a lot of people say that there was one who was already chosen by God, a 12th apostle who was not yet ready for the office because he was not yet even a disciple. In fact, he would become the number one enemy of the church and the gospel, and that man was a Pharisee called Paul, or he was called Saul at this time. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 3 to 9. He said, For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. By the way, he's talking about the gospel here. This is the gospel that Paul taught. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas. So we know who that is now, right? Cephas is Peter. Uh, and that's his Hebrew name. That's the name that Jesus gave him. His actual name is Simon or Shimon. Um, then by the twelve. Now notice here, and this is one argument that Matthias was uh, that he was legitimate, that Paul mentioned the twelve of which at that time Matthias would have been one. So some people are saying that, well, Paul is actually ratifying the twelve at Jerusalem as the foundational apostles, and that's certainly a possibility. Uh, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, also by one born out of due time. And that's an interesting thing here. Out, Paul's saying, I was born out of due time. Uh, you know, I'm, I have that ministry, but that my ministry came 
after they've spent their time with the Lord and I've spent time with the Lord afterwards. He said, I was born out of due time for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So we see here that Paul calls himself an apostle who saw the Lord as one born out of time. Now, born out of time here means a late uh, term birth. It doesn't mean, say, an abortion or, or some kind of miscarriage. It was a late term birth. He did not become an apostle when the others became an apostle because, so to speak, he was still in the womb. In God's plan, Paul was still in the womb. And here Paul claims to have seen the Lord. Many believe here that Paul is numbering himself with the foundational apostles. Others do not. And it's important, as I said, because in Revelation chapter 21, 14, we see that the foundational apostles uh, have their names on the foundations of New Jerusalem. And we're going to read that. Revelation 21, 14. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So I'm going to leave it up to you whether that name is Paul or that name is Matthias. Will it be Paul or will it be Matthias who replaced Judas Iscariot? And uh, Judas Iscariot, by the way, that name Iscariot just simply means he's a man of Iscariot. Uh, it's the city that he's from. It wasn't actually a last name. Uh, Ish, I'm sorry, Ishkariot. Ishkariot. Ish's man, Kariot, is the name of the city. Ishkariot. So Judas is Ishkariot, a man of Kariot. I'm sure that uh, that city is not very proud that he came from there. Um, and now, so, in the meantime, while you're debating that in, in, among yourselves, whether it's Paul or whether it's uh, going to be Matthias, uh, let's memorize. Uh, let, like I said, let's take a week or two weeks, however long it takes, and let's memorize the names of the 12 apostles for the next time that we're together. One good verse to commit to memory for that is found in Acts chapter 1. And verse 13, if you memorize that verse, then you only have to remember that there are a couple here who have other names. And uh, that is uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 13, and it reads, And when they had entered, they went up into an upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew. Bartholomew is who? He's Nathaniel, right? So you just have to remember that. James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. Judas would also be Thaddeus here, wouldn't he be? So he'd be Thaddeus. And, uh, and we have to just kind of learn that. If we'll memorize that, then we will know the names of the apostles. There are 11 apostles listed here. And you can add Matthias or you can add Paul and that'll be your 12, uh, depending on how you interpret the scripture. Me personally... I think, I think Peter made a mistake. I think God had already chosen his men. And sometimes, and remember, Jesus, uh, Peter did not even have the Holy Spirit, and he had a reputation of speaking when he should not be speaking. Yeah. Now, after he received the Holy Spirit, he, a lot of that seemed to go away, but he still had some issues. In fact, Paul rebuked Peter openly. Openly, in front of the whole congregation at Antioch. Now, that's astounding because you have to realize 
Paul was the new guy, and Peter had walked with the Lord. In fact, he walked with the Lord on the water. He was a big name. But Paul did not care because Peter had done something that harmed the people of God. And that was refusing to eat with the Gentiles who were uncircumcised when the Christian Pharisees, and they were actual Christian Pharisees, who demanded the Gentiles be circumcised. When they showed up and they're saying all these uncircumcised Gentiles should be circumcised like we are. Well, then Peter, who was eating with them when they weren't there, would only then eat with the Jews. And Paul saw that, and the Bible says that he rebuked him openly. That tells us something about the church of God. It's not as we think it is sometimes. Peter was not a big shot. There is no big shot. There's no big shot at all except the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not a respecter of persons. And when, Peter, uh, when Paul later talked about that incident, that's exactly what he said. He went before the twelve because they seemed to be some reputation among the people. He didn't go to the twelve because they were a ministerial board. He went to them because they seemed to be of some reputation among the people. Who they were mattered not to me. God is not the respecter of persons. That's astounding. And yet we have this man, Paul, who, by the way, goes on to say he did more work than all of them. I mean, we are all Gentile Christians here, unless there happens to be a Jew present. And we have our salvation mainly because of the preaching of Paul. Amen. So we owe that man an awful lot. But we are on the 12 disciples. Are you ready for that, sister? Here's a song about the 12 disciples. It's a 12 disciple song. 12 disciple song. Here's a song about the 12 disciples. It's a 12 disciple song. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and the tax man they called Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus, and by his side was Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, Judas, who betrays, so they told Matthias to take his place. These are the twelve that Jesus knew. He sent them out with things to do. Some they believed, some took their time believing. All he said was true, oh Jesus, I... James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and a tax man they called Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus, by his side was Thaddeus. Simon said it, Judas who betrayed, so they told Matthias to take his place. These are the twelve that Jesus knew. He sent them Thank you, Brother Hassan, for uh, writing that, singing it, and recording it. We really appreciate it. Everyone give Brother Hassan a great hand clap. That was a wonderful job. Now let's continue in Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 5. We're going to go uh, all the way through 15 here. Then these 12 Jesus sent out. Now the word apostle, and we see that they were disciples. He called 12 disciples to him, but then he sent them. And the word apostle means one who 
is sent and commanded them saying do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter uh, by the way we're the Gentiles so this really affects us doesn't it Jesus is telling them not to go to us uh, and and do not enter a city of the Samaritans why the Samaritans were kind of outcasts they were well you would even call them half-breed they were half-breed not only uh, in their uh, uh, genealogy but in their religion it was a mixture religion so they were not children of the covenant uh, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So we have to notice here once again that the message of the kingdom was declared first to Israel. They were the covenant people. They were the ones by whom salvation was to be brought to the entire world. That was God's purpose for Israel. That was His purpose for the law. These people would be the ones by whom the Word of God was delivered, the Torah and the prophets, and they were the, the nation the Messiah would be born into. If you think about the nations of these, this earth right now, say you were to go to Thailand or, or any of these nations really, uh, that are not Christian nations or, or were not Jewish nations, let's just say that, uh, then if Jesus were born to them, we would have an issue. And the issue was, Dad, who was the head of the family, would give his son a command to worship an idol or to eat food that was given to an idol. And he would either disobey his father or he would have eaten or, wor or worship that idol. So God needed a people in order to bring the Messiah into. And that's why the law was made. And that's why a covenant people was made. So that the Lord could be born among them and not be made unclean. And uh, uh, the Gentile nations had no covenant relationship with God. They were outside of the promise of Abraham and the law of Moses. So it was necessary that... Uh, Israel be the first to receive the gospel. Now Jesus gives instructions to the apostles, and he would later change these instructions, but for this time he told them not to bring any provisions with them. He wanted to be their provider. He wanted, I think he was training them and teaching them, I'm your provider. And I believe he does that to us today. Also notice the apostles were given authority over demons, over sickness, power to cleanse lepers, and to raise the dead. Their preaching was not only with words, but they demonstrated the power and the authority of God. The church must do the same today. We must preach the gospel in the authority and power of God, just as Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 through 5. Now Jesus continues, provide neither gold nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. So today, as it was then, one who labors in the word of God is worthy of his food, which means he has a right to earn his living from the word of God. And sometimes that is appropriate, sometimes it's not. Paul, many times, did not allow them to give him anything by way of sustenance but he earned his own way not only his way but the the way of those who were with him 
but he himself said that he had a right to it if he wanted to take it. If a man delivers spiritual things to the church, he is worthy to receive natural things, earthly things, uh, earthly provision from the ones he ministers among. And this is a biblical principle. And then Jesus continues, Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. They were to preach, accept the provision of food and lodging from those who were worthy, and then just move on. They didn't have a responsibility for those people after that. And we are in the same position. Uh, to those who would not receive them, they were to shake the dust off their feet, a sign of judgment to come, and just move on. We are sowers of the seed. We just go everywhere sowing, and it's the Lord who gives the increase when it falls upon good ground. Uh, so beginning, uh, uh, continuing in verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. We don't want to be harmless as serpents and, 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 and wise as doves, do we? No. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you shall speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who... Who speak, but listen to this. Oh, by the way, I just want you to listen to this just for a little theology here. But the spirit of your father. Uh, you mean the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. Which is called here by Jesus what? The spirit of your father. Uh, so that's rather interesting. Who speaks in you? Now, brother will deliver you up. Uh, by the way, Philippians calls it the spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. So that's another little nugget of theology, isn't it? Uh, now, brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated. What? I don't want to be hated. You will be hated by all. For my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Lord, that's not what Brother Joel Olstein taught me. What do you mean I'm going to be hated by others? When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I, assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, this is an interesting thing, and I've heard this often taught in a different way. I'm going to teach it my way. Uh, the, the Bible says, Jesus said, For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And that seems to confuse people because they're thinking, well, but Israel's been preached through and the Lord hasn't come yet. But what we fail to understand is the Lord hadn't come then yet either. The Lord had not yet come. He had not presented himself. And the Lord is going to present himself. So he is not talking about the coming of the Son of Man, the return of Jesus Christ to the earth from heaven. 
He's speaking of his entry into Jerusalem as king, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And we have to recognize that a lot of these 12 apostles, and not to even mention the other disciples, did not even realize yet who he was. They didn't even realize who he was. And he's telling them the Son of Man is going to come before you can even preach this gospel in every city in Israel. And uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 uh, reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. This is the Son of Man who will reign on a throne forever over all mankind. And it is the Son of David who will be born in the lineage of David and sit on the throne of David's house for all eternity. But he is coming lowly. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey. He's not coming in glory. He's a colt, the foal of a donkey. So once we see here, we see here the Son of Man who is talked about in glory, but now we see the suffering servant who is talked about in Isaiah 53, as we talked about last time or the last couple times we were together, who is suffering for our iniquities. He is the atonement for our sacrifices. And we see this prophecy fulfilled in the book of Matthew, as well as other places in Luke. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. And this is Matthew, sorry, verse chapter 21, verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Son of Man, it will come before the gospel is preached. Now, this is what he is talking about. Baruch, Habab, Hashem, Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hoshiana. Hoshiana, save now or save, please, in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now I can tell you what day of the month this was. This was the month of, this was Nisan, the tenth day of the month. Jesus is presenting himself as king. But he is being not just presented as king, but he is now being presented and examined as the Pesach, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb on the 10th day of the month Nisan. And that Lamb would be held for, ten, for four, four days to the 14th day and be sacrificed the sacrificial lamb. So we've got two things going on here. We have the coming of the Son of Man to Jerusalem. The rightful king, but he'll be rejected and instead become not the lion, but the lamb and be slain. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind, the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He's doing all this to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of the one who had come, the son of David, the son of 
man he came. So this is the coming of the Son of Man spoken here by the Lord. The gospel of the kingdom would be preached, but before it was preached to every city in Israel, the prophesied king, the Son of Man, would come to Jerusalem riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's not talking about his second coming. Jesus had not left. Okay, so that's where we're at. So don't let that confuse you. Let's return to Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If they have called the master of the house Baal Zebub, actually it's Baal Zebub, Baal Zebub uh, in Hebrew, and this is a transliteration once again, a poor one, uh, by the uh, translators of the New Testament who see a word that's in Hebrew and so they sound it out into English. How much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. So we find Baal Zavuv, we'll call him Baal Zabub, so it makes more sense, Baal Zabub. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 1 and uh, verse 16, my wife is laughing at me. I think she, she thinks it's funny that I said Baal Zavuv. Baal Zavuv. <laughs> where so Elijah is told by God to declare to the wicked king Ahaziah is that a funny name too that he would die and, and he tells him the reason that he's going to die and Elijah says then he said unto them thus says the Lord because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal Zavuv Baal Zavuv the God of Ekron is it there is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word so we see here this ancient God, one of the Baalim. Is that funny too? So the Baalim, or the Baalot, depending on which translation you want to look at, were a group of gods. And they accuse him of being in league with this one called Baal Zavuv. <laughs> and uh, the worship of, of the Baalim in the Old Testament, or, or we, we call him Baal, right? Or them Baal, because there's more than one, was considered by Paul to be the worship of Demons. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 20, rather that uh, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So Baal Zavuv, why is that so funny? Means Lord or Master of Flies. And Baal means Lord or Owner and you women might not like this much. It also means husband. So my wife, who's laughing at me over Baal Zavuv, would call me when she's talking about my husband, she'd call me Baali because I'm her husband. And in that time, I guess I'm her Lord, I'm her master, right? Baali. And so it really starts to make sense when God accuses Israel of adultery. They committed adultery because he was a type of, uh, she was a type of his wife and he was a type of her husband. And they went running after the Baals, the Baalim, the husbands. They went running after another husband. And that brings a whole new meaning of the book of Hosea where he takes upon himself a wife of harlotry who runs off, commits adultery with other husbands. And then he comes and says, I forgive you, I love you. She ended up on the auction block and he went and sold everything that he had so that he could buy her back to him. 
because but she had committed adultery and Israel is the adulterous woman who went running after the husbands and committed adultery with God so as the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of being in league with Baal Zavuv Baal Zabub Baal Zabub okay and he warned the apostles has anybody ever ever heard that before I just I just out of curiosity did anybody ever know that Beelzebub was actually Baal of the Old Testament? No. Okay, good. I'm glad we learned something today. Uh, but they accused uh, him of being in league with Beelzebub. And he warned the apostles uh, that the way the world treated him is the way that they would treat his followers. There is an understanding here that if we do the work that Jesus did, if we are called by him, if we are sent by him, we can also expect to be treated in the same manner he was treated and hallelujah. Because if we suffer with him in his sufferings, we glory, we reign with him in his glory. That's what the Bible says. And if that's what we have to do, praise God, there's not much time here on earth compared to all of eternity with him. We will be hated of men. Many of those men... Uh, will be people in authority in this world. And we may even be in prison. We may suffer physical punishment. We are not promised an easy road. Even those we love, a father may turn his own child over to be put to death. Or a brother may have his own brother uh, put to death. And this is happening in the world right now. If you're in an Islamic nation and you decide that, if you understand that Jesus is the Lord and you open your mouth and you say, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Savior, they will put you to death. And your own father may be the one who turns you in. And that is happening in the world right now. And praise God that they're still declaring Him. Even under punishment of death. Praise God for it. Amen. And they will uh, take part in His glory. Twelve apostles were sent by Jesus that day. And eleven of them are the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And then there's a twelfth, of course, who, you know, you know who that is, because I'm sure you're sure it's Paul or Matthias. Uh, John went to the foot of the cross with the Lord. And he was the only apostle who was not martyred. The others all forsook him at Calvary, but they would all end up giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. The church is founded on Jesus, who was rejected by men and crucified. The gospel then was uh, preached by the remaining, all of the, uh, the remaining apostles, and all but one uh, of them were martyred. And John, he wasn't free. He was imprisoned. He wrote the book of Revelation in in shackles, in, in a cave, in imprisoned in a cave. And we can expect nothing more than that. Now, praise God if we don't go through it. There are some who are going to have other lives, other reports of victory. But then, as the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, there were others who the world was not worthy of. And these were people who were suffered, who sawed asunder, who were naked, who were hungry, who walked around, uh, around hated by the world. But the world was not worthy of them. The trick is, be in the will of God. Whatever the will of God is for you, if it's the will of God for you to, to have the glory now and to have wonderful things in your life now, praise God for it. I'm so happy that we were born in the United States of America Amen. where we have some freedom. We're blessed, but there are others. Yes. 
And those others need our prayer. They need our support. They need our encouragement. Um, And they're suffering terrible persecution, imprisonment, and even execution. And it could happen here. I love thy word, and I'm so thankful you're here. But if this were China, we could not hold the people. And they would not let me leave. We would teach until midnight, and then they wake me up at 5 in the morning because they want to hear more. And we'll preach again and teach again until midnight. Because they have such a hunger and a need, and it's not allowed. They can't go to church like you and I can go to church. It's criminal there. And I believe that the time is coming when Christianity will be criminalized throughout the entire world. And Christians will be persecuted even here in the United States because the servant is not above his master. And frankly, unfortunately, sometimes that's what God has to do in order to have revival. You know, the church stayed at Jerusalem. They were all hanging around Jerusalem. Everything was good. They had a great congregation. They had the 12 apostles. Well, they had 11. Matthias might have been one. And, and everything was good. So what did the Lord do? He used Paul. Now, Paul wasn't even a Christian yet, but he did more for the growth of the church at that time than any of the apostles did. What did he do? He persecuted the people of God. And when they were persecuted, they fled. Just like Jesus said, when they persecute you, flee from that city. And they did. They fled from that city. And what did they do when they went to the next city? They preached the gospel. And therefore, by doing that, because of persecution, the gospel went out and they turned the world upside down. That will happen in the United States. It's going to happen. There are going to be two things that are going to happen in in the end time. All you end time people, your ears just pricked up. And these are two things that I can tell you for sure that the Bible says, and then we'll close with this. One, the church will be persecuted. Number two, that which, uh, did I say three things? There might actually be more. The darkness will get darker and the light will get lighter. There will be a true church and a false church. There's going to be the bride and the prostitute. And the prostitute will actually persecute the bride. And then the Lord will return his attention back to the people of Israel. We are not Israel. Israel is Israel. We are the church. And God has promises for that nation. He is going to pour out His Spirit on that nation. He is going to write His law in their hearts. He is going to return and reign and rule in Jerusalem. And that's the end time, according to me. God bless you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for thy word, and I thank you for all who have come. I'd like you to bless them for coming and bless them as they go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I